Um, I want to introduce you to somebody tonight. Where's Maddie? Now, Maddie, would you like to take this microphone? That's for you. Now, how many know Maddie? Okay, if you know Maddie, you're not allowed to answer any of these questions. All right? Now, people who don't know Maddie, I want you just to look at her and work out what you can... <laughs> yeah, okay. What you can work out about her. Okay, what, 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 what do you think about her? Can you work out what she likes? Who she likes? Can you work out what sort of food she might really enjoy? Like, can you work out much just by looking at her? Anything? She's cute? Yep. No, not, not much. What, if you want to get to know Maddie, what needs to happen? She's got to talk, doesn't she? got to say something. So, Maddie, let me ask you some questions. Um, how many siblings have you got? What's your family like? Uh, I've got two sisters, one of which is sitting right over there. Okay, she's not allowed to answer these questions. <laughs> um, and I have my dad. When's your birthday? Uh, on Saturday. How many ha- houses have you lived in in your life? Uh, about six, I think. Okay, how many books do you own? Too many. <laughs> okay. Now, you know some facts about her now. Do you feel like you know Maddie? No, not really, do you? What sort of information do we need her to share so you feel like you know her? She's got to talk a bit, I think, about what matters to her, doesn't she? What drives her, what motivates her, what, what she loves, what she hates. So, Maddie, tell us some of those things. What do you love? A weird thing. A weird thing. That's, that's not talking about what any of the blokes here, is it? Um, I really dislike people eating rice with forks. You dislike people eating rice with forks. That's a real hate, is it? Can, can you explain this for us? How did you get to that point? It just seems really inefficient. <laughs> ah, now you know something about her. Efficiency matters. So does that mean you're doing engineering? No. <laughs> what do you study? I'm not always on time either, so... Um, well, it's, it's efficient to be late, isn't it? Because you don't waste time while other people are still coming. <laughs> Sorry. That <laughs> Pretend you've never heard that, okay. <laughs> what do you study? Oh, I'm doing commerce, or I'm about to start commerce at UWA, I'm doing accounting and Chinese. Why are you doing those? What's the interest? Accounting is practical, and so is Chinese, so... <laughs> Chinese is practical? Chinese is hard, isn't it? It is hard. Uh, it makes my mother really happy. Uh, <laughs> is your mother Chinese? Chinese Malay. Right, okay. Right. Now, do you feel like you're starting to get to know Maddie a bit more now? Yeah, she starts to speak. When, she's, when she opens herself up, then we start to know her, don't we? Maddie, I think I'll stop the excruciating pain now and take the microphone back. Thanks very much. Yeah, give her a clap. All right, the spirit of revelation. You might remember in Jeremiah chapter 31 last night. Jeremiah promised a time when everyone will know me, the Lord, from the least to the greatest. Everyone will know God. What does it take for us to know God? Well, Maddie is not God, 
But there are some parallels, aren't there? For us to know God, we need God to speak to us. And it's, what do we need? We need some information. That's sort of part of it, isn't it? If you don't know about the person, you can't really know the person. And we've started to just see that, get that insight that the sort of information we really need is not just facts, that they help, but we need more of that personal stuff, their passions, their perspective, what, what they love, what they hate, what they, they can't stand. That's what you need to know, to know someone. Now, information is necessary, but in some senses, it's still not sufficient for relationship. I presume you've had that experience where you've seen a fair bit of somebody that maybe they, they play music somewhere or that they speak and you find out quite a lot about them and you stalk them on Facebook and you learn all sorts of other things. But you, you sort of half feel like you know them and then one stage, maybe without you expecting it, they sit down and they start talking to you. And that suddenly changes the whole game, doesn't it? Because they've talked to you. And a relationship has begun that's moved from sort of theory to, to reality. What do we need to know God? Well, we need God to speak. But even more than that, we need God to speak to us, to speak to me. And if God came here tonight, sat down next to you and started a chat with you, I presume you'd sort of away thinking, you'd walk away thinking, I, I know God now in a way that I didn't know before. Jeremiah 31, everyone will know me from the least to the greatest. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit who in the Bible is called the Spirit of Truth and the Spirit of Revelation. You saw that uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 today. The Spirit is crucial in knowing God. It's when the Spirit comes that people will know him. In the Old Testament... God spoke via intermediaries most of the time, prophets who were given visions and words to speak to God's people. But in the new covenant, God promises that he'll speak to each of us. In fact, so much will he speak to each of us, so much will we know him, that in Joel 2, Joel says that at that time we'll all be prophets, we'll all know God enough to speak for God and about God. So tonight what we're going to do is explore the role of the Spirit in us knowing God the spirit of revelation. In the Old Testament, as we've mentioned already, God spoke from time to time. God spoke here and there, piecemeal. But he spoke through the prophets by his spirit. And this is what Peter says in his letter about the prophets. The prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The prophets just didn't share their own opinions about the weather or politics, but they were carried along by the Spirit so that what they said was God speaking. Some of them had dreams, some of them just spoke, thus says the Lord. They wrote down much of what they spoke in the Scriptures. And so it wasn't just the prophets were carried along, and if you'd been there you could have heard their words, but in 2 Timothy 3, speaking particularly about the Old Testament, Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed, it's God-spoken. See, my words are tim-breathed. If I stopped breathing, guess how much you'd hear? Very little. You try it. Just try speaking without breathing. It doesn't work, does it? It's a metaphor. It's a picture. God doesn't have lungs and stuff. But it's a picture that makes perfect sense. Scriptures is God speaking. God breathed, like your words are. And therefore, as I read the Scriptures, the Old Testament here in particular, God is talking. God is preaching, giving information. But more than that, 
He's describing his actions. He's making promises. He's revealing his purposes and his passions, what he loves and what he hates. But there's more to it than that. Jesus says something quite interesting and strange, but very helpful. He's speaking to the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a Jewish sect in Jesus' time who didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. And they come and ask him this bizarre question about a, a, a lady who's married to seven different husbands. They all die. Maybe your cooking wasn't so good. Eventually she dies. And they ask the question that's supposed to, to expose Jesus as silly. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus says, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures. That's pretty cutting, isn't it? They should know them. They don't. That's the problem. Or the power of God. The resurrection people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but they'll be like the angels in heaven. But at the resurrection of the dead, haven't you, have you not read what God said to you? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he quotes a bit from, if you recognize it, Exodus chapter 3. Remember Moses at the burning bush where it burns up but doesn't burn up, and God says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You would have thought he was just talking to, to Moses, wouldn't you? But Jesus understands that when he was talking to Moses, it's written in Scripture because it's God talking to you. It's God addressing you. God is being personal. It's not just words from God thrown into space. The Scriptures are God speaking to us personally. But the Scriptures aren't just words dropped from the sky, Bibles printed and bound dropped from heaven. So uh, a couple of chapters later, Uh, Jesus, uh, talking to the crowds, quotes a bit of Psalm 110. But notice how he describes it. It's David speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord. That is, he recognises that it has a human author. King David wrote this psalm, and he takes that into context in working out what it means. It was written by a king in about 1000 BC, about somebody else he calls his Lord. But it's not simply David, it's not merely human words. It's David speaking by the Spirit. There's a human author, but there's a divine author. God is speaking, he speaks by his own Spirit. The Spirit was at work in the Old Testament becoming the Scriptures. Uh, Compared to other books which weren't Scripture, which weren't God speaking, it alone was God speaking by his Spirit. And with the coming of Jesus, we come to a new phase of God speaking, a new clarity, a a new completion. So John says this in his introduction to his gospel, no one's seen God, you haven't, have you? I haven't seen him. That's true, isn't it? But the one and only Son, who who is himself God and his closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. More literally, if you know the word, he has exegeted God. That is, he's brought the fullness of understanding, of revelation of God to us. He is the word of God. And so by Jesus' words and by Jesus' deeds, he reveals God. In chapter 3, Jesus talks about his own, uh, about himself. The one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God gives him, that is Jesus, the spirit without limit. Notice Jesus' revelation of God The speaking of God comes by means of the Spirit. The Spirit is integral. Sorry, go back. Uh, John chapter 6, Jesus again speaking, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, says Jesus, they're full of the Spirit and life. 
So we see that God reveals himself by speaking through his son, who speaks by the spirit, the, the father, the son and the spirit, the trinity all there, if that confuses you. Remember last night, all their works are one. They always work together. And Jesus' words are not dead words, but the spirit gives them life, makes them powerful. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer talks about Jesus this way. In the, God, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, that's the Old Testament, through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is fully, exactly the imprint of God himself. When you see Jesus, you see God. When you hear Jesus, you hear God. And this is God's last word in the last days. He's got no more to say. I presume you've sometimes had that experience where you've had a friend just download on you. Have you had that experience? They just blurt it all out. Everything that's bothering them, everything maybe even about you that's bothering them, they just, they just dump it all on you. And you get to the end of it, it might have taken two hours or five days or something, and there's nothing left to say. Well, that's the sense of Hebrews chapter 1. God has blurted it all out because now he himself has come in his son. We've seen everything of God in the son of God. There's nothing more for God to say. He has spoken. But you might say, Tim, I wasn't there. (laughs) Sure, that's nice. It's a great idea, but I missed it. Where's the video? How am I supposed to hear God speaking to me If I wasn't there when he spoke by his son. Well, now we pick up the work of God's spirit after Jesus. How do we hear God speaking to us today? How do we know God? And again, we'll find that the Holy Spirit is the key. On the night before Jesus was taken away and crucified, he had that final meal with his 12 disciples, his apostles. He gathered them around. You might remember that in the middle of it, Judas leaves to betray Jesus. And Jesus then speaks to his apostles. We read some of this last night, including this section of it. And he says this to them because he's he's, uh, warned them that he's about to leave them. He's going to go. He's going to be crucified and rise again and go back to the Father. And he says, all this I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, that one will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And we need to be careful with this because who is this promise made to? Is it made to you? Me? No, it's not, is it? Because I wasn't there. I didn't hear Jesus speak. This is made to his apostles. And it's a very significant promise. The Spirit will teach you all things, remind you of everything I've said. Now, if that happens, if Jesus' promise comes true, if the Spirit does that for those apostles, what is the implication of that? The implication is that what they teach is the truth about Jesus. What they remember is everything significant about Jesus that we need to know. It really is a huge promise. He reiterates the same sort of thing in chapter 16. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. Again, do you see 
the impact, the, the, the significance of these promises. Those 12 fallible human beings who become 11 and then Paul gets added to them, they will be so taught and guided by the Spirit that what they say, what they teach is infallible. Just like the prophets of the Old Testament could say, thus there's the Lord, so the apostles, carried along by the Spirit, speak God's words, reveal God truly and accurately. Now let that sink in for a little bit. That's got enormous significance. It? it means there is a reliable revealing of God that we have access to. Now I don't have an apostle in my back pocket, but they wrote down what they taught. That, that's what our New Testament is. It's the teachings of the apostles. And we have it. It's accessible. It's in our language. We can read it. We have the infallible words about Jesus, the revelation, God speaking to us by his son. And notice in verse 14 here, he, the spirit, will glorify me, Jesus, because it's from me that he'll receive uh, and it will make known to you. Does that ring bells? His work is always to glorify the son, to testify to Jesus. Remember our floodlights? Yeah, have you been to the cricket and watched it under floodlight? Imagine you go along with your friend and while you're watching the cricket, you notice that your friend is always looking around up into the sky at the lights. What would you say to them? I presume you'd say, no, look at the cricket. That's what the lights are on for. You keep looking at the lights, you've missed the whole point of it. And to keep looking at the Spirit is to miss the whole point. Understanding what the Spirit does will always lead to us looking at Jesus. Because the Spirit keeps pointing us away from himself to Jesus. He will glorify me, not himself. He makes Jesus the centre. And interesting, if you read the New Testament, what do you find? Who's it about? It's all about Jesus, isn't it? From beginning to end, it's all about Jesus. Because the Spirit is doing his work. He's doing it really, really well. He's glorifying Jesus. And if you read the Old Testament and you actually understand what it's about, you'll see that's true of everything in the Old Testament as well. All of it points to Jesus. And that's the, that's the trademark of the work of the Spirit. It'll point to Jesus. And we see this role of the Spirit played out in the New Testament. For example, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says to them, we thank God because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human words, but as it actually is the word of God. If you know the story, Paul, this funny little Jewish guy, and he probably was a pretty funny looking guy. He was, people weren't impressed by his physique and his, his beauty. He rocked up into town one day, completely unannounced, unknown, and he started babbling on about this guy called Jesus. This Jesus who had died and risen again who was now the King of kings and Lord of lords over all the gods that you might have ever believed in or worshipped. And for some of the people in that town, that message was received, as Paul says, as it really is the word of God. Some people recognised that God was speaking through those human words, through that human language. It wasn't just that some bits of what he said sort of became the word of God, hit them between the eyes. It all already was the word of God. And some of them recognised it. Even if there'd been nobody there to listen, it still would have been God speaking, the word of God. Here's the teaching of the apostles. 
equated with it is actually God speaking. And that's true for us, isn't it? As I read part of the Bible, as I hear it uh, read or preached, I'm hearing the apostles teaching. I'm hearing God speaking because of what the Holy Spirit did back then in keeping the promises that Jesus made, that the Spirit would lead his apostles into all truth. You hopefully are familiar now with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the temple of God. You think, hold on, I thought Jesus was the, the foundation. Well, Jesus there is the cornerstone, isn't he? There's the cornerstone and there's the, the foundation. And you might think, hold on, are they in tension with one another? Who do I believe, Jesus or the apostles? Well, you can't actually put them in tension because the apostles speak about Jesus. It's only through them that you come to know and understand the cornerstone, Jesus, and understand him truly and accurately. And so what we have in our Bibles is something unique, God's dynamic, powerful word. In Hebrews 4, we won't look at it. uh, The writer talks about the word of God being living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword or that kitchen knife you've got in your home. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, Paul says the message of the cross, although it's foolishness to some, to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. That is, it's not just words that are accurate, it's words that the Spirit makes alive. The message is powerful because the Spirit works through it. And that's why back in 1 Thessalonians, Paul thanks God that they received it as it really is the Word of God. He doesn't say, good on you, you, you were clever enough. I'm glad you went to UWA and, and learnt the right things and, and you've had the right education to recognise it. No, he says, I thank God that you recognised that it was the words of God that you were hearing. And that word is still at work in you. It's still dynamically, powerfully at work, changing, transforming. It is God relating to you so that you know God. What are we saying? We're saying that God speaks in the Scriptures They are actually God speaking. God telling us the story of creation and Abraham and Moses and Israel and especially Jesus. And as he tells the story, sometimes God is addressing particular groups of people, the exiles in Babylon, the Ephesian Christians, Theophilus. But there's always one eye on you and me. He's always speaking for us to hear it because he is speaking to us, to me, to you as well. As we read the Bible, just sitting on your own, reading through a passage, God is speaking to you. And as you listen, you get lots of information about God, general information, very personal information about God, but you get much more than that. You actually have God speaking to you, chatting to you. A relationship is being built and developed. He's relating to you, and if you listen, if you trust what he says, the relationship becomes a genuine personal relationship. And the Holy Spirit is the key, the spirit of truth and revelation who inspired the prophets, who empowered Jesus, who guided the apostles. Without the spirit, we'd never know God. But the spirit makes it possible for us to know God. And if that's true, I don't need to be hearing God elsewhere. God has spoken, spoken clearly. He is speaking. I don't need any other sort of way of God speaking for it to become personal and real and relational 
and intimate. He is speaking. He has spoken. And it seems to me, and this is a personal observation, that if a church or a group like a, a Christian union loses confidence that in the Bible God is speaking to us, then we always rush to other ways. We need God to speak to us through other means. Maybe we need to sit and just meditate and empty our minds and maybe God will drop some thoughts in, the still small voices in my head, and maybe that's God speaking to me. Or maybe I just listen and feel for the impression of my hearts and that's God speaking to me. But if I know that God is speaking to me, he has spoken to me, it's all clear, I don't need to go there. But there's another side to this truth. Those of you who are at uni have probably done a little bit of communication theory. No communication theory, there's sort of three parts to communication. There's the person who's got an idea in their head and they've got to encode that idea in words, in ways of communicating. And then they communicate that and then the person on the other hand has to decipher it. So here, you know, he's got tree in his head. He speaks some words that describe this wood thing with branches and leaves and things, and the other person gets it. Ah, tree, yeah. And communication has happened. Now, that can break down at all sorts of places, can't it? The person encoding can get it all wrong. Well, in the case of the scriptures, that hasn't happened. It's been encoded brilliantly. It's all done well, but it can go wrong at the receptor end. So it can go like this, tree... Tree? Tree? Yeah, that's missed somehow, isn't it? The receptor didn't understand what the, the, the communicator was saying. So how does the receptor end work? Because my guess is as you read the Bible, as you hear its truths and exhortations, our experience varies enormously, doesn't it? Sometimes it's just sleep-inducing. Other times it's absolutely riveting. And that sometimes has to do with the receptor. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1. Because this has got two sides to that story. The message of the cross, God speaking about his son and his death, the wisdom and the power of God. Well, to some though, it's simply foolishness. To those who are perishing, it's just nothing. It's, it's sleep inducing, it's, it's crazy. Who on earth would ever be interested in that? But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's very different, isn't it? To one, foolishness, to the other, the power of God. Same message, but different effects, different reception. What makes the difference? Again, can I ask, is it IQ? Is it which university you went to? If you went to Curtin Uni, of course you get it right. But if you went to Edith Cowan Uni, oh, sorry for you. <laughs> no. He explains the difference in chapter 2, which was the passage that Caius read for us. And I don't know how much of it you picked up as we went through. But the difference actually starts with the apostles, with the we. We, he says, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, the Holy Spirit. So that we, that is the apostles, Paul and, and his, his fellow preachers, that we may understand what God has freely given us. What has God freely given us? Well, in short, Jesus. That's what he's given us. Jesus, his life, his death, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his resurrection, his victory. That's what he's given us freely, absolutely freely. We've done nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it, nothing to pay for it. He's given it to us freely. And the Spirit has revealed to the apostles the truth of that, the reality of it, the heartbeat of it, the details of it. 
Well, what does Paul do with that experience? Does he say, well, you've got the Spirit as well, so I'll just go back and sit in my tent and I'll wait for the Spirit to reveal it to you as well? Is that what he does? No, keep reading. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. See what he says? The Spirit has revealed it to us, so what do we do? We explain it to you. We explain what the Spirit has helped us understand in normal human words, but they're words about Jesus. They're words taught by the Spirit, proclaiming the crucified Messiah, Jesus. But as he does that, there's a couple of different responses. So he goes on to say, the person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, considers them foolishness, can't understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. But the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. That is, they make the right call. They recognize that this is the Word of God. God is speaking. So what makes a difference? Is it your IQ? No, nothing to do with that at all. It's the work of God's Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you accept it, you welcome it, you recognize it to be what it is. If you don't have the Spirit, it's just foolishness. It's just nothing. It doesn't penetrate. You just shrug your shoulders and say, cool, wonder what that's about. Here's a diagram. I don't know if it sort of makes sense. There's Paul and and his apostles. They, They speak. The Spirit has revealed the truths to them, and they speak those things to others. And they're fairly indiscriminate. They'll speak it to anybody. The listeners, though, it, it varies. Some people, those without the Spirit, they reject it. They don't understand it. They couldn't, couldn't actually care about it. But those with the Spirit, well, it's sort of like the Spirit means that the message resonates, that the message is the message of the Spirit. And so if you've got the Spirit, you recognize it. You, you, you see that it's come from the same source. You recognize its truth and its power and you welcome it. It makes sense to you. I've noticed that uh, young children, babies, are sort of like that with their mums. Have you noticed that? You might not have had much experience of this. Well, you did a long time ago and you've forgotten it. But little, little children recognise their mum's voice. It's just instinctive. There might be 20 people in a room talking, but if their mum talks, they'll hear it because they've got the spirit of their mum inside them. Well, we have the spirit of God inside us. And if we have that spirit inside us, we'll recognise the voice of the spirit when we hear the scriptures, when we read them, when somebody preaches to us about Jesus, when somebody sits down in a conversation and tells us the truth, our spirit resonates because it's the Holy Spirit. And so it penetrates, it makes a difference. And I'm sure some of you remember that happening, maybe for the first time. You heard about Jesus many, many times and it was just, you couldn't care. It had no impact on you. And then one day it changed One day you heard the same message again. It wasn't different and it was like you heard it for the first time. It was like it suddenly went in because the Spirit enabled you to do it. And that's what Paul's describing. And so we see that reflected through the New Testament. The Spirit's work in it. So remember 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. We thank God that you accepted it is as the Word of God because God is the one that enabled you to recognize that by his spirit 
And earlier in that same letter, this is how he's described how it happened. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words. There were words. See, he came and spoke. And the words were critical. But it came also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. The Spirit brought conviction and powerfully turned their lives upside down. So they stopped serving idols. Everyone else in town, they they were serving idols. They were afraid of them. They wanted to keep them on side, but they stopped serving the idols. They actually risked the welfare of the whole village and town and family by turning to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And we see it in a different way in 1 John. 1 John's a fascinating letter that, that tries to help people work out, are you really Christian or not? And this is in chapter 4. Dear friends, he says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You notice he's not saying you might sit there and spirits start speaking to you. Spirits speak through prophets. You've got to test what the spirit of the prophet is, which, which spirit? This is how you recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that doesn't is the Antichrist. Pretty black and white, isn't it? If somebody comes preaching to you the real Jesus, the divine son of God who became a man, took on flesh to die for us and rise again, you know that they have the spirit, the the real spirit, the true spirit, the spirit of truth. If they preach a different Jesus, they don't. Floodlights again, isn't it? The Spirit is always testifying about Jesus, the true Jesus, the real one. But there's another test which fits in with that in the second half of the paragraph. Those others are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We, however, are from God. And he's not talking about me and you. He's talking about we, the apostles, we who saw him and touched him, who were there and eyeballed Jesus, us, who were the witnesses of Jesus Whoever, uh, sorry, whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. That's how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Do you see the test? It's whether you listen to the apostles. If the spirit has guided the apostles into all truth, they've written that down, they're teaching it, they know the real Jesus, then if you've got that same spirit, you will listen to those apostles, won't you? Now, to listen here is obviously more than just hear. It's believe and place yourself under what they say, willing to be corrected and rebuked by it. Last night, we saw a couple of essential marks of the Holy Spirit's work. Jesus is Lord. The Spirit of Jesus will lead us to acknowledge and recognise Jesus as Lord. The Spirit will take us to God as Father through Jesus because he's the Spirit of adoption. And here we see he's the spirit of truth. And you know you have the spirit of truth because you listen to his truth in his words in the scriptures. And that's a test we can apply to ourselves, isn't it? Do, Do I listen to the scriptures? But it's also a test to apply to Christian teachers. Anybody like me who stands up and and claims to 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 speak on God's behalf. Do they have the spirit of truth or don't they? Do I have the spirit of truth or don't I? How do you know? you know by whether they listen to the scriptures, whether they listen to the apostles, 
not just read their Bibles, not just use their Bibles. Everybody who wants to sort of get a, a platform at a Christian thing has to quote the Bible. But it's very different to quote it and to listen to it. Uh, I've heard lots of preachers all over the place who've quoted the Bible only to say what they want to say, not to say what the Bible says. So don't be fooled by that. Ask, are they listening to the Bible? Do they really want to know what it says to believe it and to teach it? Now, you could get the impression from what we've just talked about so far that what we should do then is just sort of read our Bible, sit and listen, and wait for some sort of zap from the Spirit. You know, here I am, I read some words, what's going to happen? Spirit, zap me, and then, then I've heard you. It sounds like my mind has been bypassed. I don't have to think, I just have to wait for it to happen. But that's not actually how the New Testament sees the Spirit working. This is what Paul says to Timothy. He's just written to him some scripture. It's actually about uh, soldiers and farmers and stuff like that. And then he says this to him. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Do you see what, what that's saying? Think about what you've just read. Because as you think about it, that's when the Lord will give you understanding. The Lord will work by his spirit to help you to grasp what God is saying to you. The spirit enables our minds to work well. It's not mind versus spirit, intellect versus spiritual. Reading your Bible carefully is spiritual, not unspiritual. What is unspiritual is ignoring or rejecting what God has said in his word. So let's think about hearing God speaking. God is speaking so that everyone might know him, know about him, but more personally know him, relationally know him, because he doesn't just speak, he speaks to us. And he doesn't just speak to a few elite super Christians and the rest of us get it secondhand. He speaks to all of us by his word. Now, sometimes that reality has been lost to churches. There's been parts of history where the church hasn't wanted people to have the Bible to read for themselves. They've kept it untranslated into the vernacular. One of my heroes is a guy called Tyndale who started to translate the Latin Bible into the English of his day back in the 1300s because he said he wanted even the plowboys to be able to read, to be able to hear God speak to them personally. And I think he was spot on. But the experience of hearing God speak varies so much for us, doesn't it? Sometimes I feel nothing. Sometimes I'm deeply encouraged. Sometimes I'm just puzzled. Sometimes it's like a sword to the guts. But what we mustn't do is equate a particular experience, a particular feeling with the Spirit. You know the Spirit's at work, not by how it feels, but by your attitude to what the Spirit says your attitude as you hear. But there's more than that, because if we can all know God because we hear him, we're also able to speak God's word to others. This is what Peter says. Each of you, use whatever gift you have. If anyone speaks, if you've got the capacity to speak, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God, the very oracles of God like the prophets did of old. Notice this is implying that you might or you might not when you open your mouth. You could say rubbish stuff, you could say wrong stuff, but what we should aim to do is speak the very words of God. 
And you might have opportunities to do that formally, but you can do it in informal conversation too, can't you? If you accurately communicate the truth of the gospel of Jesus, God's truth as revealed in his scriptures, God is speaking through your words. It's a puzzle that we don't do it more, isn't it? And as God speaks, we need to listen with our heart. Because it's first and foremost about an attitude to God's word as it comes to us in the Bible. Openness, eagerness to hear, not just to hear though, to understand, to believe, to trust the God who's spoken, to obey him. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that. The spirit of revelation has worked to give us the revelation. He's also worked within us to help us receive that revelation. Now, word of caution here, this doesn't mean you ought to let any preacher terrorize you and manipulate you. Because God doesn't do that to you. He doesn't treat you like that. And so his spokespeople won't either. Now, only listen to preachers who themselves listen to the Bible, listen to the apostles, because they're the ones who have the spirit of truth. And if they do listen to the Bible, listen to them, even if they're deadly dull. And lastly, listen with your mind. Hearing the spirit isn't a matter of emptying your minds and listening to some inner voice, but it's to listen thoughtfully. Switch your mind on. Think, reflect on what you read, on what you hear. Use your brains. Dependent on God to give you understanding. Humbly wanting to understand and obey what you hear. But use your brains to do it. Amen.